I V M. We are not in favor of curtailing all fundamental rights, Mrs. Gandhi explained in a press conference. We do not even want to take away the right to hold and enjoy property, but in the future, the right to property will not be a fundamental right. And predictably, one of the points in the Congress's 12-point manifesto for the 1971 elections was slightly ominous. It was. Such amendments to the constitution may be enacted as necessary. How did the government come to a point where the constitution itself was seen as an obstacle meant to be overcome rather than one to be upheld? Hello and welcome. My name is Priya Mirza, and this podcast is the longest constitution. And we are looking at sedition, what the right to life and liberty. Really mean, and the torturous journey of the fundamental right to property, and that's Article Thirty One. Our first story today looks at the many lives of sedition in independent India, and we saw how the Patna court used sedition to convict a few Adivasi leaders, airing their grievances about the state of Bihar in Devi Soren vs. State, nineteen fifty. Okay, now the year is nineteen fifty eight, and Ram Nandan gives a speech. He criticizes the Congress regime. For its inability to deal with extreme poverty, he exhorts cultivators and labourers to form an army and overthrow the government if needed. He accuses Nehru for being a traitor for dividing the country into two. Ram Nandan is booked for sedition, and we saw in the previous couple of episodes that sedition under Section One Twenty Four A was inserted into the IPC in eighteen seventy one by James Fitzjames Stephen. And it's placed bang in the middle of Chapter Four of the section of the IPC that deals with offences against the state. In a passage that deals with serious offences, including waging war against the state, the punishment for sedition extends up to life imprisonment, and the charge is both non-bailable and cognizable. It's a serious crime. Okay, now on to our next case. Karak Singh uh, lives in a house. Kharak Singh was convicted as a dacoit, but was acquitted for lack of evidence in 1941. But now it's the 1950s in independent India. But Kharak Singh is under surveillance, which involves secret picketing of his house, domiciliary visits at night, periodical inquiries by officers into his repute. Habits, association, income, expenses, conduct, and occupation. It involves constables and chokidars tracking his movements and absences from home, and all of this authorized by the UP Police Regulations. Karak Singh filed a writ petition under Article Thirty Two, in which he challenged the constitutional validity of these sections. And that reminds us why the A.K. Gopalan case is as important as it is. The Preventive Detention Act to begin with. The Preventive Detention Act 1950 was used against communists in Telangana and was the first preventive detention act which was passed after the constitution was enforced. And that's the one under which Gopalan was detained. That draws attention to Article 21 as well as its subsequent Article 22 and the preceding Article 20 and each of these represents the interface between criminal law and the constitution 
where and how to draw the line between individual liberty and social control. So, what is criminal law? Criminal law deals with the state's use of its coercive powers to limit individual liberty, but in the interest of some conception of the public good, such as state security or public order. And criminal procedures generally describe the processes used by the state to investigate and prosecute a crime, achieving that evasive public good. And that's why Article 22 is a corollary to Article 21, because it lists out those very grounds under which the right to life and liberty can in fact be taken away. So in Kharak Singh's case, Kharak Singh was free, but his personal rights and liberty, being under watch and being monitored, impinged his liberty. Okay, now why was Indira Gandhi calling for fresh elections and talking about amending the constitution? We have been tracking rather methodically how Article 31 amounted to periodic standoffs between parliament and the courts. Where the state appropriated private property, but the courts repeatedly insisted on compensation. And now it was the turn of the Indian Prince's Privy Purse. On 7 September 1970, Chavan said that the president had the unquestioned power to re-recognize the Indian princes. Madhurao Sindhya and other Indian princes immediately petitioned the Supreme Court under Article 32. They argued that the government had tried to do indirectly what it could not do through parliament. The Indian princes stated that their fundamental rights under Article 14, 19 and 31 had been violated. So how did the government justify this, de-recognizing the Indian privy purses? The government argued that the privy purses were not a constitutional provision, but a political pension, a political agreement. And the state was free to absolve itself from these political promises. And the 11-judge bench of the Supreme Court took 13 weeks to decide this case. So what happened to Ram Nandan Singh, the one who made a speech to villagers against the government? In Ram Nandan versus State 1959, the High Court of Allahabad, hear this out, overturned the conviction of Ram Nandan for sedition. Justice Gurtu explained that it was possible for people who legitimately and peacefully criticized the government to be caught in the mischief of Section 124A of the IPC. And for this reason, he said that sedition should be invalidated because it restricts freedom of speech and is capable of striking at the very root of the constitution, which is free speech. Hmm. In Madhavrao Sindhya versus Union of India 1970, the court ruled that the order of the president de-recognizing the rulers is ultra-virus and illegal. The Supreme Court struck down the de-recognition order and held that the obligation to pay the privy purse was absolute, that the guarantees to the Indian princes were part of the constitution and therefore enforceable. Though Justices J.K. Mittar and A.N. Ray dissented, Mrs. Gandhi was not happy. If Parliament was losing control, it was Parliament she would seize. Nine days after the Sindhya judgment, she called upon the President and proposed that he dissolve the Lok Sabha and called for fresh elections. Time will not wait for us, so we have to go to the people, is how she described it. 
And what happened to the nightly knocks on Kharak Singh's door? In Kharak Singh versus State of UP 1962, a six-judge bench held that domiciliary visits at night were unconstitutional, but upheld the rest of the regulations. The judgment invoked the common law rights of man and held that every man's house is his castle. And I'd like to paraphrase that too: every person's right to a room of her own. Virginia Woolf, I hear you. And that was for Justice Subha Rao's small note of dissent. He said, "It is true our constitution does not expressly declare a right to privacy as a fundamental right, but the said right is an essential ingredient of personal liberty." So while the bench held that the right of privacy is not a guaranteed right under the constitution, there was a recognition of what the sanctity of a home meant so today's takeaways are there are at least 17 other preventive detention statutes enacted by state assemblies that enable executive detention without judicial supervision for a minimum of 3 months and a maximum of a year without trial the ramnandan case was an important case which held that sedition severely hampered the freedom of speech The Kharak Singh case marked an important point in the journey of Article Twenty One and the definition of liberty, but fell short of recognizing privacy. Lastly, the Privy Purse case marked another round of conflict between the Supreme Court and Parliament over what was constitutional, what was property, and the limits and extent to what Parliament could and could not do. If you have questions or comments, please send them in via email. That's the longest constitution at gmail dot com. You can also rate my podcast at Spotify and drop a review at Apple Podcasts, and can also reach out to me on Twitter, where I am at fundamentally p, or on Instagram, the longest constitution. Until next time, this is me, Priya Mirza, signing out. <laughs>